FranWise presents What's Your Effing Business, a podcast about franchising. Here's your host, Marianne O'Connell. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast, What's Your Effing Business, where we talk about the fundamentals that make great franchises. And in this season, we're talking about builders and growers, builders being those visionaries who saw that their original business could be something, could be a franchise. And then the growers, those who can come in and really see what the systems or the finance or whatever it is that's needed to grow it to being a big national concern, or as Meg Roberts from the Lash Lounge calls it, being a multiplier. And we had a great multiplier with us today. We have Jana Bailey, who is the CEO of Frannet. And Jana, welcome. We're so glad to have you today. Well, thank you very much, Marianne. It's an honor to be here with you. So tell me a little bit about the background of you, of what Frannet was as it started and then when you got involved. Well, FranNet is a 33-year-old company. I keep wanting to say 32, but we're actually 33 years old now. So it was 19 years old when I joined 14 years ago. Um, Howie Bassick was the founder of the company, and he started it in Southern California in the Carlsbad area. Um, And Howie had a vision for this brokerage-like business where you matched people wanting to go into business with franchise opportunities. And it was such a great idea, but talking franchisors into paying a fee for that service was a lot of the initial day's time was, you know, signing up franchisors. And when you look back at what some of those initial paydays were and and just the reluctance of people to pay anything for a referral of a client that was well-matched. It's just interesting to to read and see. Um, How we grew the company to, I guess they had about 30 offices um, and they were a mutual benefit company. So each person- yeah, that's, it's, that's what I said at the time. Um, what it meant was it, it really was very loosely configured and everybody had an ownership in this overall, think of it like a co-op, almost like a co-op where everybody had a little ownership piece um, and how we assigned them or gave them territories that they would work and he would take some percentage of their commissions when they got a deal done. Now, everything else was pretty much run by committees. They had an inventory committee that reviewed and um, approved or declined franchisors that wanted into the portfolio, but they didn't have a professional staff that went out and found those franchisors. Each individual Fran Netter was responsible for trying to bring in concepts. And so when a deal would get done, the sponsor or the person who brought it in got some slice of the pie as well as FranNet headquarters and the balance going to the FranNetter who closed the deal. Um, Marketing, they had another committee that was in charge of marketing and they were contributing some very small amount to this you know, fund as it might be that they would agree on things to do. Uh, everything was by committee. And Howie really didn't have a lot of 
responsibility as it might be for those decisions. I mean, I'm sure he had veto power, I, I would like to think, but it was very much a committee run co-op type arrangement. So when Howie decided to retire, he reached out to some long-term friend net people and talked about his desire. I think he actually had worked with someone else in the industry now. And uh, when that deal didn't work, didn't go through, um, these people from Frannet stepped up and said, we'd like to buy the company from you. So they put together a deal and the majority of the then Frannet people became stockholders in this new entity, Frannet LLC. And we, one of the first things we set out to do was to convert it to a franchise. So, you know, we had How people. were you operating before? Just that mutual benefit? That exactly. Okay. Exactly. Which is really pretty interesting because they had one group that was under the mutual benefit. They called it FMBC, FranNet Mutual Benefit Corporation. Then they had formed a separate group, which was Franchise Development Company. And they had two different sets of contracts going. So two tiers of Fran netters and, you know, one got some things, one got the other. It was, it was very convoluted. So we had to negotiate with both of these companies to merge into FranNet LLC and then bring their people with them, which the people were the majority of those organizations, obviously put it all together and then talk them into why we needed to be a franchise. And this so, is all on your watch. This happens this, when you come in. This was, this was all going on just as I stepped in. Yes. Wow. So what was the enticement to get someone who hadn't been paying any franchise fees or royalty or marketing fees to make a change? Well, they were paying some, but very small in comparison um, in terms of, you know, the enticement was number one, we're going to have a professional staff take all of this off your plates. So you all can focus on the things that make you money. And then we're going to bring in a corporate staff. When I took this position, there were three and a half people that were FranNet headquarters. What's a half a person, Jenna? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and one of those people was 50% paid by the marketing funds, remember, put in by the FranNetters back then. And so she was 50% marketing and 50% technology. So it was quite the interesting time with all of those. So, I, you know, you quickly look at it and say, we've got to tear this thing down to the structure and start over. Um, I remember the young lady that was doing bookkeeping at the time for Howie. Um, I went in asking for silly reports like accounts receivable and accounts payables and cash flow statements. And I was greeted with, Howie never asked for that. Um, and, and I was just like, really? <laughs> well, Another little twist was the, the franchisors paid the Fran netters directly. It didn't come into headquarters to be processed. So everybody was on the honor system <laughs> to pay who they were supposed to pay when they got a deal. Well, 
my background, of course, I was in banking for 18 years before I found my way into the franchise industry. And every alarm I had and every instinct I had was just absolutely going crazy. We've got to get these things under, you know, our umbrella so we actually know what's going on out there instead of waiting till the end of the month and seeing whether or not checks came in for us. So it was... Um, we we held, we put forth a promise that we would take care of the invoicing of the franchisors once they notified us and we would pay them the same day we got paid. And we have held to that to this day. If an ACH comes in, an ACH goes out. Um, That's so amazing. We pride ourselves in that and it was important to them that we do that, not be holding their funds. But this um, different structure is a different personality type for the people who were pretty much autonomous before. So what was your shakeout? How many of those 30 went forward? Well, we had a few more people. There were so many office owners. Um, we lost, as I think that we probably had a 40, 40 ish. So total people at the time we lost, I can count on one hand, like, four or five. Um, I was told when we started this process, if we could retain 50%, that would be a home run. And we retained like 95%. So that's amazing. Um, that says a lot about the value that you built. Well, and we, we made a lot of promises. I mean, and we've lived up to those. Uh, we promised more training, more education, uh, we promised, um, well, another thing, they have an asset now they can sell when they want to retire. They didn't have that previously with the mutual benefit company. You retired, you left, you're just gone. So we are a franchise with assigned franchise territory and you build a business um, that's a sellable asset. Of course, we had to educate around the business has to be more than just you because you can't sell you leaving people question how much of that will continue so that's when we instituted what we call the enterprise office where you know you go bring in associates you build a team and and you go deeper and wider into your territory so that was one of the other steps going on at that time how many uh franchises do you have now We've got 55. I've got total people in the organization about just shy of 100 right now. So that's including the associates that were right. brought in. Okay. Right. And how many territories, and I know they weren't as strictly constructed, but how many territories when you started with the company and how many territories now? Well, a couple of things there. We've divided a few of them. Um, so territory-wise, we've got six in Canada. I've got three owners over there, but all the territories are taken. So we have owners that have multiple territories. So within the U.S., I probably have roughly 60 territories. So I've still got some open markets right now. Um, a couple that are attractive and some that will never sell, like North Dakota, South Dakota, those type things. So, you know. As, as soon as steers know how to run franchises, you're in gold. Um, so you came into this. You said your background was in banking. Before that, you were working for, was it Sam's Corporate or, or Fantastic Sam's Regional? 
Well, I had done both. I worked for a regional office, a um, gentleman here in Louisville that owned a, when I joined him, three-state region, which later became a five-state region. Um, and he also, so he had the, the regional operation, he owned 35 salons, and then he also owned warehouse. So I came in originally after banking, I did training, public speaking, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and some of his people heard me speak in Nashville on an accounting topic. topic. I had um, finance and accounting for the non-financial manager was one of my skill path sessions. And they came back and, and told this gentleman, this is somebody we ought to see about doing some training for us. She's actually from Louisville. I did that for two years for them. And then he made this proposal to me to take this job as the regional director. And so he could concentrate on these other things. And I did, and I spent about six and a half years with them. And uh, we grew the region and we're opening up quite a few salons. And um, through them, I met several FranNAP people, which later come back full circle for me. But uh, when I left the, the Louisville region, I went to work for corporate. And they sent me to Texas to do a turnaround on a troubled region down there. Um, and that was supposed to be a three to five year assignment. And then I would be brought back to Louisville. Long term plan was I would be like a um, when you think in terms of the franchisee support people that go out, I was going to be like a regional support person because I had put together a regional operations manual while I was in Kentucky because there wasn't such a thing. So I had put together like a best practice and an SOP for running a region. And they wanted me to take that out and help other regions get going and support them. Um, all was going along lovely until the, the, president of Fantastic Sam's was dispensed by the venture capital group. And since the president and the people that were on the board at the time, which was Tim Halverson and Ann Halverson, um, they were part partial owners too. So everybody's all up in the air because when that starts happening, you don't know but I'm smart enough to know that typically the people that are the direct reports to the guy that just got ousted usually get swept out with the new broom. So I started letting people, friends know that I needed to get back to Louisville and needed to, to be looking. At the same time, Jack Armstrong had sent out an email to friends and family saying, we have this position that we want to fill at FranNet. We want to bring in a COO and president to run the company and they described as people and some of my former FranNet friends um, threw my name in the hat, as did the former president of Fantastic Sam's, who was also a former FranNet person. So all of the things came together. I know franchising is a small world, but that story just, that, that takes it to new heights. Well, so now you're sitting in the chair of being a franchisor. And you looked at a system that had gotten some success. I mean, he had these offices going. Yeah. It was a brand when I was with other brands. We all knew who FranNet was and what they did. What did you see as your the core responsibility that a franchisor has? The things I saw at the time, um, there was really no documented processes. There was absolutely no branding. There was, I mean, everybody was doing their own thing around the country. There was no sense of this is the FranNet way. 
Um, there were a lot of individual relationships with organizations like SCORE or the Small Business Development Center, but there had never been a corporate or overreaching relationship established. So everybody just had to go out there and fight. Um, I saw a need, obviously, with the, the contracts to make sure we were financially sound um, for the new owners, but also to strengthen the franchisees and help them build an asset that would be sellable. So all of that meant more training, putting in processes, make our brand mean something, put in branding standards. Um, I do believe you helped us with our operations manual becoming compliant. <laughs> um, so there was just all of these steps that had to be done to have an asset for the stockholders and for the franchisees that meant something. So you're talking about the manual brings up a question that you and I had to tackle while we were doing it, which was joint employment. Right. And the relationship between who was being trained, how they were being trained. How have you dealt with that now since those laws have only gotten more obscure and are skewing to being tighter and tighter instead of people starting to understand what we do? Well, I'll be honest with you. That was probably one of the least favored changes I put in place because it had always been done the other way. So when I came back and said, we can no longer invoice those associates that are working under the franchisee, um, I will have to invoice the franchisee and you collect from that went over just horribly. Um, so that was done. Um, the being more clear on our website of the associate versus the franchisee level um, was not popular, but like any change, once you, once you get past it and you can explain why it's being done, um, I won't say there's ever been a, a great, you know, everybody embraces it, but it's accepted and I've helped our franchisees understand the importance of it. Um, so it's, we have removed ourselves and, and made sure that we're not dealing directly with those associates on matters other than if somebody calls for, you know, just a random question, but for anything of any substance, as far as training, they have to, it has to come from the franchisee to us as a request for us to do that for them. Um, and everybody can attend our meetings and everybody can attend our training. But again, the franchisee needs to be involved and know everything that's going on. There is no direct communication uh, without the franchisee being plugged in. Great. And the franchisees now know what the rules are. They have yes. to make the decision. Okay. Yeah. That You made that sound easy. And um, <laughs> I'm one of the people who happens to think that convincing people is not the easy part. But staying on the right side of whatever today's law is, unless you're in California, um, is not that difficult. But it is a new way of doing business. And I think that's a lot of the reason franchisors get up in arms about mm -hmm. this whole idea. Though now threatening that the franchisees themselves might be construed as um, employer, employees, that's a whole different discussion for a political yes. day. Um, so you have innovated on that. You, you created a real franchise system, and now you're humming along. Um, I used to guess that 
brokers had about a five-year window to be the lead source for franchise development because everything prior to this had been about a five-year cycle Mm -hmm. and you guys have blown it out of the water. It's obvious that you're not going anywhere, but innovation keeps coming at us. How do you stay focused so that you're true to the core of the franchise? That's probably one of the biggest challenges. And and every year at this time, you know, you start your process for planning for next year. You know, it it seems to get earlier and earlier every year that we have to do it. But um, I think you look back at your mission and you look back at your values and you look back at the things that you said were important. And then you have to question, have they changed? And look at that. Now, technology may change. Um, the, the way we may be dealing with more clients on Zoom meeting where we used to always you know, be face to face. That was one of the things we were always so proud of. We're in your community. We sat down with you. So we may have had to change some of these things, but it shouldn't change who we are at the core. Um, and I think trying to keep that separate, you know, what are the, the delivery methods may be different, but the core values should remain the same. Um, and just continuing on, one of the other things that we did, I think you're, uh, a couple of years ago, was we came out with the broker disclosure document and our client bill of rights. And I think that really helped hammer home to our partners, you know, our strategic partners, referral partners, as well as FranNet. We really stand for something that not everyone stands for. This is who we are and we're proud to put it in writing and say this is what you can expect from us and this is what we're about and what we'll be doing and this is who we get paid from and you know just try to provide some transparency. That Um, transparency is probably the key because part of what the whole what you're effing business came about as was a client of mine who had a very good business but it was food service and it was mostly teenagers running it. And he came and he wanted to develop leadership programs to give to these kids. I said, do you mean the 16-year-olds who are going to leave in 20 minutes? Focus on on what your business is. And that's what started me thinking about this, because too many people go off in a hundred different directions. So I like your focus. So one last question. If you could do anything differently, from when you came in to today, what would it be and why? Wow, that, that's not a question I've been asked, so let me see. Um, probably would have brought in um, higher caliber people more quickly. Into the staff? Into the staff. I've got an awesome team now. I had a team that was good at the time we outgrew some people. And I've got to tell you, that's very painful to go through. Um, So I would advise anybody not to cut corners on the salary you're going to pay because you may be cutting corners on the ability they have to grow with you in the future and what they can contribute in your growth needs along the way. So as I look back, I can see where my loyalty to some people probably held us back in some areas. And it wasn't until there were almost amputations of the removal of them, uh, either their choice or ours, that you really see 
some of the missed opportunities and that's painful. Um, I'm not sorry I'm a loyal person. Um, I will say that that but if I had looked differently on the front end, I might have brought in different caliber of people that might not have had to have been amputated later on. Well, that's an honest assessment and, and rather graphic when you say amputated. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it ever pleasant? I mean, you've no. been in management and it's just, no. and, and I say anybody who's in management that takes it lightly when you lose a person, either their choice or yours, there's something wrong. You've got to, you've got to do some, um, uh, go back, do some soul searching about where did this, where did this relationship get off track? And even if you've done great due diligence before you hired that person and you've planned out, we all have an obsolescence point where yes. you're going to have to change that person out. And it's not going to be any easier the second time than it was the first time. No. No. no, and we went through a couple of evolutions of that. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, as I look back, it, it hurts my heart because they were, you know, some of them were very good people that gave it their all for some period of time. And then it just, it, it, it wasn't enough anymore. They weren't able to take that next step. And uh, that, that's a painful part of growth. But I love to hear there's heart involved in it. So thank you. I mean, this is a remarkable story to see a company that really was the pioneer in the field. No one else was doing what Howie was doing. Um, and to take it, first of all, convert it to a franchise and not have wholesale mutiny going on is pretty remarkable. Um, but now to take it out to where you are the driving force. When I have new franchisors come to me for advice, they're all saying, well, how do I get into the networks of FranNet and such? And I'm like, okay, let's back up and have something they can sell. And let's build that first. Jana, if people wanted to get in touch with you, either for more advice or if they hear this and they're even looking and interested in the territory, how would they do that? They can reach me through my email, which is j. Bailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y, at Frannet, F-R-A-N-N-E-T dot com. Or they can go to our website and find me under leadership and also connect there. So always Perfect. open to a conversation. I always have time for, for those type calls. Well, thank you, because conversations with people who have led as you have are always going to be valuable uses of people's time, especially on this podcast. So thank you so much. And for those listening, we hope you will tune in to our next edition of What's Your Effing Business. Thanks, Jenna. Thank you, Marianne.